welcome everyone to episode 41 of High Tech on the Low. Nier, how are you this morning? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. I'm very glad to have you here. As I was talking to you just before the interview, it was very exciting now to have a chief engineer, as, as we like to say in the biz, right? Not a chief technical officer, chief engineer on the show with me. So I'm very excited. And as always, we are supported by the Front Team Communities, where we have 12 diff different communities, six networking uh, verticals and 3,000 startup entrepreneurs and tech enthusiasts all looking to network with you. And today, what we are going to talk about that's going to be very interesting in my mind is, the, is your whole journey as a technical engineering guru, savant, we can even say it, right? I know I know. maybe that's like a little too much. I know we were talking, we don't want to piss off the CTO of your company right now. So we have to, you know, make sure that he understands the whole situation we're at. But at the same time, you know, we want to talk today kind of about what the role of a chief engineering officer is in a company and how entrepreneurs can understand the value between kind of engineering, research, development, and that whole thing. And I think you have a, a wide amount of experience with that and a very big range of experience. So why don't you give everyone a little bit of introduction of yourself and, and we can get started from there. Sure, thank you for having me today. Of course. Uh, so I'm Nir, uh, Nir Feldman. Uh, I'm basically an engineer, software engineer. Uh, I live on the south of the country in a small village. I have four kids, uh, which is fun. I love biking and I love technology. Well, that's awesome. Uh, good good connection there. Biking, technology, yeah. always good. At least you started with, started with low tech, moved to high tech. Definitely. <laughs> uh, yeah, so on my day to day, I am the chief engineering officer at Sky, uh, formerly known as Kenshu. Uh, and uh, I'm basically running the show of uh, building our products. Uh, we're a SaaS company, uh, so what we build is software, uh, and that's uh, that's my day-to-day -day job. For sure, for sure. I mean, we'll get to Sky in a second too. Uh, we want to obviously understand what what you guys are doing there and how you guys are coming to you know revolutionize the world. But you know, first and foremost, I want to kind of understand you know how did you get into the world of tech because you know. It sounds, you know, obviously you have a, a wide breadth of experience. You know, you're obviously made it to the head of a company as a chief engineering officer. So it, obviously, you know, you've done you've done your time in the industry, as they say. Yeah. But how did you first get into it, and why did you get into it? I think, yeah, I looked, I tried to remember that, and I was, I think, nine or ten uh, when I got this uh, log. It was a logic book. Uh, a logic visual. Book. It was visual. I think kind of visual logic uh, language. Oh, okay. Uh, which you build some uh, if and else things, and you can uh, paint things on the screen. It was an XT uh, back on the days. Wow, like I think you're, talk you're talking like things I don't even know right yeah. now. <laughs> Green screens yeah, uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, of the computer. So this is where I started. Okay. I like, you know, as a kid to play computers. Uh, at the army, I was, uh, uh, I was not doing uh, any anything about computers. I was in the artillery. I was an officer. I uh -huh. was leading. Uh, I think. The, my first leadership position was there, basically, as you can think of. Sure. And then I went to the university. Uh, I love I love computer science. Uh, I learned software engineering. I uh, did my uh, four years degree at uh, BGU at Ben Gurion University. Nice. And uh, and from there uh, I started to work on small uh, companies. Right. Uh, my first job was actually with no salary. Uh, I worked for two months uh, for a friend of uh, my father. Okay. Uh, because it was after the bubble burst, if you remember, like oh, 2000, uh, 2000 yeah, uh, okay. plus, like the www.com burst. Okay. Uh, and there was, you couldn't find a job, not like today, I guess. Right. Uh, <laughs> as a student, so uh, I did two months for free, and then he offered me a paid uh, a paid job. I was scripting things, okay. you know, doing some uh, customization works. Uh, started wow, to cool. work for, uh, um, started to work for uh, a diamond. Uh, small diamond uh, company uh, doing them uh, 
like helping with their tech side of, of the business, basically. Helping them building the invoices and the, you know, processes like Automation internal, processes. yeah, ERP, but very like sure. 20, 25 years ago, it was not yet. A little different. Ex- yeah, yeah, not yet that established. So this is how I started. Uh, and uh, from there, you know, I... All uh, the way up. Yeah, I started to move, uh, finish my degree. You also have a very interesting story in that you came, you didn't also, uh, you know, come from what would be considered the high-tech units of the Israeli army. You came from, right. you know, combat yeah. and like kind of, you know, a yeah. what might be considered a more normal position in the army. Definitely. So, I was, uh, yeah, I was an officer, you know, doing all the... Uh, the combat thing I still do by the way reserve duty awesome uh, it also goes to show basically uh, that you don't have to be Mr. Tech you know from the army to be Mr. Tech in in civilian life yeah I think actually when you think about it there are tons of advantages Uh, I know the like LinkedIn and everything is now blown uh, of all this staff uh, following the Eretz Nederet yeah that's exactly Uh, what I was thinking yeah, I, I'm, I'm totally uh, in alignment with that. I think uh, there's a lot of value, you know, leading people uh, in the field. Uh, it gives you tons of uh, experience in handling crises, and we can get to that maybe in one in later uh, points of this discussion. Uh, handling crises is part of the job, right? Well, let's move right into that, right? You know, so like, what do you say, you know, on a day-to-day basis, you know, your job as a chief engineering officer is? And I think... You know, the real thing that I think we want to kind of highlight here is that, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs and people trying to build a venture, you know, I myself, you know, people like that, you understand to a certain degree, you need someone who's technical, you need someone who's business, you need someone who's marketing, you know, you need all these different roles and you need them. At the end of the day, though, what would be, you know, your role as a chief engineer? Because I think a lot of people out there always hear CTO, 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 or whatever, but an engineer is a little different in my opinion. And it maybe also has some similarities, but is a little different. So what are you doing on a day-to-day basis? What's your role like? Yeah, I think so. So first of all, I'm part of the management team of the company. Uh, so uh, my team is not technical, which is uh, interesting, right? I have my peers, which are the CRO, the right. chief marketing officer, uh, my boss is the CEO. Uh, all of them are not uh, are not in the technical space, and I see myself as uh, as the one who's responsible, uh, you know, for the long term first and foremost, okay. like making sure that the company vision uh, uh, is backed by the right technology okay. uh, and the right tools for our engineers to be able to build the products, which will change over time, right? And the environment is changing. Yeah, everything is changing. We're in a super dynamic area. The marketing area is always changing. We can talk about it in a few minutes, maybe. But uh, but but this is, I think, one of the most important things, right? Making sure the strategy of the company is backed by the right tech and tools and people, uh, uh, talent. So if we're moving more into a data uh, strategy, then we need more data scientists. We need to hire them. We need to have the programs. All those mm-hmm. things are part of my job. Uh, so you're like kind this, of aligning in that sense that idea between you know what the technology you know what the technology out there is, what the technology is needed in the company to drive it forward, and the talent behind that to then actually implement that into your solutions in a certain right. sense. Right. So that's one. I think the second thing is running you know the day-to-day R&D which is quarterly planning, putting the sure. plans, making sure that we're taking the strategy. And with the product uh, organization, we have our chief product officer. We work very closely. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're building the plans, which are the deliverables for each quarter, right. delegating it, it into the teams. And yeah, and the third thing which we started to talk about is, you know, clients and incidents. And we have a huge production environment. Uh, 
which we're running, right? Uh, right? It's like 10 Ks of uh, instances in AWS, uh, high load, uh, which we need to make sure it operates uh, and run and one like every day at 24 seven. Right. And when things break, you're uh, the guy who has to deal with it. Yeah, me and my staff, right? So right. I have my people, uh, but uh, we're, uh, we are the one who needs to understand what's going on. Of and, course. Uh, the one who are really publishing eventually what's going on, uh, giving updates to the field, to our customer sure. success, and to the people in the field, which works with our clients. So at the end of the day, what you're telling me is that even as the technical guy, you're still client-facing to a certain degree. 100% true. I'm, uh, uh, it's part of, I think, the mix that is needed as part of a being in a bigger company and the management, but I think also in small, like the, the most important thing is someone who can really connect between the needs and the business and the strategy of the company to, you know, what is the tech and the solutions, right? Right, and Like the, the actual implementation yeah, of what you're doing. And it can be, you know, it can be, this is, I think where the ROI really is, right? So you can build fancy things that nobody needs, right? or you can build the rights, you know, solution lean, for, solution the, thing, for yeah. the thing that will make uh, make the ROI uh, much higher and uh, will yield in a better business. Right. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more with you on that. I always tell people, you know, it's like because uh, I come from the marketing side of things. Right. So I always tell people, I'm like, you can have the best tech in the world. But if no one heard about it, is it really the best tech in the world? Do you know, <laughs> I mean, so uh, so at that point, you know, I totally see what you're saying now in terms of also that role when you're, let's say, you know, dealing with clients. Right. Are you in a sense? Uh, the person that they come to and they're saying, hey, we have a problem, d fix it? Or is it more like it comes through the grapevine, you know, through whatever other, you know, the account managers or the sales team or whatever is going on and then they tell you and then you deal with it? Yeah, so I think it this changes over time, right? When the company, uh, in the beginning, I was much more involved in client calls and uh, trying uh, to mitigate issues because we had a lot of them. This is like the, <laughs> of the fun thing of a small <laughs> company. And then when we grew, uh, processes uh, are more established. We have our 24-7, we have our support, mm -hmm. uh, tickets, those kind of things. But, but still, if there's a client which is, uh, you know, the big one, uh, and they have an issue, eventually I can jump on a call for sure. For uh, sure. Even if it's 2 a.m., 3 a.m., U.S. time, you know, our time is usually, like, we work a lot with the West Coast. So. Okay. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. I'm, from, I'm from Colorado, <laughs> so I know. Yeah, so it, it happened to me that someone woke me at, uh, like, 2 a.m., and, like, there's a big issue. We need you on a call. Okay, I'll get there. Like, right, right, right. Is, uh, We'll do whatever needed. And for, for them, what, clients. it's 4 p.m. or something like that or something yeah, like that? Yeah, for them, it's evening, yeah. evening time. So... Why don't you also explain to us a little bit about what you guys are doing at Sky, formerly Kenshu, you know, and uh, and kind of explain to us what what the solution is that you guys are actually working on there. Yeah, sure. So uh, we're we're basically believing, uh, you know, that the world of marketing and commerce is becoming more and more digital. It's not our belief, right? It's reality. Well, I think uh, it's more. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you. you know? uh, and then and then our uh, platform is coming to help you to as a brand uh, to grow by giving you a go to market engine. We okay. call it right. It's a platform. It's not one solution. Um, so it covers the whole process from understanding your, your consumers planning your budgets and your media mix and right. uh, all, all the uh, which channels should I be activating, doing some experiments. We have a model for experiments. Like then, A-B testing, segmentation. A-B testing, segmentation, using the Facebook tools, the Google tools, whatever tools available. Very cool. Uh, also media buys, I imagine. 
we don't do the media buy. We give you the technology. We're a 100% SaaS company, right? Ah, okay. So 80 plus percent margins. We're uh, we're on the tech. Okay. Uh, but we provide marketing organization with the technology to do that. To understand they do, how they should do it. Yeah. Okay. They do the media buying themselves, and we give them the tool to do media buying on search, social, e-commerce, retail media, which Very is now cool. blowing, right? Amazon, Walmart, uh, everything. Yeah. Target. Uh, all all those uh, they want to monetize their uh, uh, their growth. Uh, and uh, at the end, we help you also to measure the impact, which is, I think, very interesting for a marketeer. A lot of time you do a campaign right. and you ask, okay, how much did it impact our bottom line? Right. right? Do we know that? Did we invest $2 million in YouTube? What's the return? So uh, we have a, a, a proprietary algorithm for that okay. as it helps you uh, basically measure the incremental value of a specific activity on your marketing, which is really cool now. And uh, uh, and the tech behind it is also super cool. So we love it. Interesting. Very interesting. I love that. I, you know, it's also interesting to me too, because as someone who comes from the marketing field, you know, I definitely uh, agree with your whole assessment of where the world is going in digital. And honestly, where even the kind of like what I would call is the marketing processes are going digital too, where you have, you know, you have to decide your budget, you want to do your testing. And you know, it's one thing to do manually, you know, not knock it down in an Excel sheet or some type of Google Doc, you know, look at all that stuff. But at the end of the day, the people who have that kind of digital process from the start, you know, the more automated process from the start, they're, they're obviously out there. Think about it. If you look on, for example, Procter & Gamble or those kind of companies who've been doing TV for 60 years and they now need to shift, right, their huge budgets right. into connected TV into digital uh, channels, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is a huge shift for the CMOs there, which have huge organization, you know, structure. And this is what where we're trying to help. And we find a lot of success uh, with big brands. Well, that's huge. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure it's more of a big brand in that solution when you're actually mm -hmm. dealing with, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in ad spend as opposed to yeah. someone who has, you know, hundreds of dollars in ad spend, right? Minimum. Yeah, right. That's so, you know, in that sense too, what I find very interesting here is that you've kind of really, you know, we can say, uh, you know, escorted this company from, you know, you know, both the earlier days in the company to now where you're, you have a, you know, executive role and it's, you know, a growing startup. But also, you know, and and what you kind of didn't touch on at the start is your your experience in the whole um, you know tech field and like how you went from places like HP, for example, which we know is a massive, huge multinational company, and then into the startup space, which is like totally different, totally not HP. And as much as you know, the only thing connecting between them is maybe the fact that they deal with computers. You know, that's that's really it. How is that? that transition for you and how do you also see that as being something to understand from an entrepreneur's perspective of you know moving from kind of like the big bad world of corporate in a sense to you know the dynamic you know but scared but also stressful world of startups yeah i think so uh, when i was at hp hp acquired mercury interactive which is where i worked before mm -hmm. and and i was there in a also in like startup in the bigger company which was mercury so i, I was familiar with this environment and uh, to, to me, the experience at HP was educating in the beginning, but the corporate, it was too much for me, like the whole processes, you know, like the was, structure kind of. Yeah, it's very hard to uh, to really do things. You need yeah. to handle politics a lot uh, and understand the corporate. Uh, so so I look for a smaller company sure. uh, to, to have more fun. And I think I found Kanchu, which was a great match. Uh, 
and the move I came, it was a mess, right? For me, it was, I came, <laughs> it was, oh my God, right? Uh, everything is breaking, incidents all the day, production is down for, for like 12 hours, nobody knows about it, there's no monitoring, like wow. a lot of best practices missing, but the, and the company is growing, right? So it's this is, I think, the part, uh, the company was five years old, more or less, so as an uh, as someone who is a founder or an entrepreneur when right. you get to this i think you need to identify this phase of the scale uh-huh. right when things are starting to wow grow fast and you need to act i think getting people uh, it was a good uh, call uh, by our uh, ex- like by our ceo to get people uh, from outside that has experience uh, to kind of help with the growth yeah stage. to help uh-huh. because it's a different game then you need to double your R&D in a year. How do you do it? You probably, you can't do it only organic. You need to go to uh, to other uh, vendors. Uh, partners, like, whatever yeah, Partners, Ukraine, Matrix, doesn't right. matter. You need to have a culture that breaks the, usually on startups in the beginning, there are the people who know. Right. They, are, they, they wrote the code, they know everything and nobody can do it. Sure. Uh, so this is, you need to break it. You need to make it more scalable. You need to have processes around right, it. Right. Uh, to have better quality, I was called to my CEO office like every two days. This client is, you know, like they're calling me. Like, why are they calling? Yeah, me, why are they calling? Yeah. Me? Yeah, what are you doing wrong? Yeah, yeah you know. it's, it's not working, yeah. right? Things are not working, and we're trying, you know, to fix that sure. as we go. But it takes time. You need to implement a lot of processes, and basically, technologies like automated testing, sure. continuous deployment, all the all the best practices from the software world. Which in the beginning you're taking as a debt, which is okay. This is, I think, something entrepreneurs need to understand. When you start fast and you try to find the product market fit, this is it's okay to take a lot of technical debt, but you you need to make sure you pay it. If things are scaling and you understand it, and you're not like going to your engineering uh, leads and telling them why doesn't it work, it's like. Okay, we just need to have a project and the budget. Well, it sounds was... like there's a, a really careful balancing act that you kind of have to yeah. put, do there, and it almost like that's what you have to almost understand as you kind of go from like you know if you're if you are going from big structures to small structures is that there is this kind of you know there's there's this issue that it, that just exists of how do we balance you know kind of as, and I think what you said earlier about your role is key aligning the vision with actually aligning the solution. So yeah, uh, so I think. I think you need like there there needs to be the, the thing is when you grow the risk is growing right so you have more customers you have more more things to risk and your brand name is also important so in the beginning for example security nobody cares about security in the of beginning course. right you need to run fast yeah go for it just, just have something working and then uh, when things are growing you have clients like i don't know a bank right they care about security right, right. your clients start to care about it everyone and your the risk is getting much higher so you, you have to balance the basically close uh, the things that you left in the beginning and right. you just had to have the functional things working uh, and invest in it and sometimes it's looked from the outside like it's a waste of money time you know it's Everything. a lot of effort sure. yeah, right yeah, yeah. Uh, but this is where you need, I think, it's important for someone to uh, to lead, that is leading this agenda, to be able to translate the value uh, of the investments from, okay, it's technical, we're doing now, I don't know, security improvements. Sure. How does it reflect to our clients and to the risks that we're mitigating now? And what's the business basically model it in a business language that uh, the management and the board will be right. able to understand? 
and accept and also eventually budget right and so and kind of marrying those aspects together again like your whole idea of kind of being that overarching you know kind of person who says okay this you know these are how the all parts go together so that i can do my r d i can do my my kind of research and development type work yeah and i think an interesting uh, example that we see now uh, in uh, uh, in companies that were founded like 15 years ago everyone now are first day at the cloud right right you go to the cloud you go to aws gcp doesn't and everyone loves the word too cloud 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 right yeah, yeah. uh but there's like uh, a lot of legacy uh things uh and it's also a question like we're we're in the process of migrating all our it to the cloud right okay. uh, and this is a huge project it's a four years project uh yeah, definitely not something that happens overnight, I would say. Right. We chose AWS as a preferred vendor uh, and, and we're moving there. And this is this is this has to have a lot of business justification because the cost is high. Uh, but eventually this allows us to move faster. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is when we look strategy, when we look longer term, this is when we go. We're going into, as I said, to understanding consumers and those kind of things. It means we're collecting more data. We're doing more data science work. Mm-hmm. Uh, which uh, requires new infrastructures and tools. Right, more resources, that, everything. And also tools uh, that are available on the cloud now and not on-prem. You don't want to mess with all, you know, installing GPUs or those of kind of things. Yeah. You just want to buy it. Right. So, uh, uh, so those kind of projects uh, are, I think, the most strategic and important. And nobody, it doesn't impact your, uh, your P&L this year. It will impact it. Like three down years, the road, right? right. Yeah. So as like that, you know, in that sense, I mean, it's interesting that you kind of bring up that whole type of, you know, those types of strategic moves, right? Because I think also one of the things that, you know, I want to understand from you is too, is, you know, as like a, a as a startup, you know, founder or something like that, how should I, you know, prioritize, you know, kind of my research and development and engineering, you know, and also in a sense, maybe bringing on a, you know, uh, chief engineering officer as opposed to maybe a chief technical officer in that sense. How do I prioritize that in my growth stage, especially, you know, if I'm, you know, beyond, let's say, just an idea, right? I'm like at a seed stage, round A, where I am growing. I do maybe have an, an MVP or even some pilot use cases, something like that. How do I prioritize all that? I think in the beginning, you don't you don't need to prioritize a lot. You need to, to focus on your crown jewel. Okay. Usually, you probably have, there is a core uh, to your product, right? You're building something that provides the core value to, to the clients. And this, this is where uh, the focus should be. Uh, we're also practicing that even internally. We, when we incubate new products, sure. we're like taking it to the side, putting like five people and we're telling them, you don't care about anything. I don't care if it breaks. I don't care. You just need to find the clients, right? Sure. This is the most important thing. I think once you get to the, I don't know, you have 20, 30 clients running on the platform, then you need to start worrying about okay. it. Because because people who are only hacking and, you know, building the things and just making it work. Right. Uh, they don't usually think about the next. They don't have the big picture. Yeah, the big picture and the scale. And sure. then and then having some a leader uh, that can start to think about it, bring some DevOps uh, talent, yeah. right? All the, all the structures that is needed. Right. And not only the developers that will just throw things out. Right. Uh, is, is becoming important. Uh, and... Honestly, I think most of the people they they uh, they will it will hit the wall, right? They will understand it once after they once hit they the get wall. There. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, because things are starting to shake, right? right. Uh, and, and I think it's also okay, basically, because the the most uh, the most hard part in in the beginning is 
really getting you know your clients loving your product getting started getting right. paying clients yeah that's yeah it. that's it yeah. right and if it if it breaks uh, i don't know if your product is down four hours a week and it still give value okay in the beginning it's okay everybody understands sure. it, right but when it scales and uh, i don't know you have 100 people uh, in a business using your app then it's becoming an issue if the app is down for half a day of their work it costs then a lot of a money client. to your client yeah, right? yeah. exactly uh, so then, uh, then then things changes so this is i think the tipping point it usually i think after i, I would estimate it after three years of the business like running building then you need you you get you have after round a you have a good product you have like 10 20 clients this is a, a good time to think of building a more mature organization I got uh, you. of engineering. No, that makes uh, makes a lot of sense, to be honest. It sounds like also it's one of those things that, you know, unfortunately comes with the resources, right, that, that come yeah. with, you know, funding and growth. Yeah. So, you know, we're coming towards the end of the podcast, and what I always like to do is I always like to ask my guests uh, what is a piece of advice they have for entrepreneurs out there going and starting their own ventures. So what is your piece of advice, you know, from your stage as an engineer who's also seen most of, you know, kind of both the corporate and the startup world who's now in charge of basically a startup you know what what is your advice for an entrepreneur out there and it can be just in general or it can be from the you know advantage of near the engineer yeah which also rhymed i didn't even know that <laughs> yeah i think uh, i think the first and uh, most important advice and i tell that uh, you know it's everywhere so it's all about the people I think sure. so for you for the beginning it's finding your partners right you need like the two three people who you trust 100% and you want to go together. I see that uh, in, in succeeding companies, uh, when there's a good core of co-founders, this is like, true. it's amazing. Very uh, true. Uh, so this, I think, <laughs> the first thing, if, if I start like a, a startup, this is where I focus. Okay. Uh, and the second thing, if you think technically, yeah, I told it, I think don't worry about it uh, too much about the architecture in the beginning. I think it's more about getting things done, get people who are accountable for their uh, work and not uh, and not the theoretical, you know, uh, architects who love making things nice and beautiful. This is what don't like you need the builders, you need the people who just get the things done and that's it and move to the next thing in the beginning. Later on, you'll figure it out. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much, Nir. I think it's been an amazing conversation with you. I really touched a lot of unique subjects here, especially in the world of engineering and everything. It's been very interesting hearing your whole kind of vantage point. It's not something that as a marketer, as someone myself that I'm always exposed to. So I always appreciate it. I'm sure a lot of people gained a lot of value out there. So I thank you so much for your time. And uh, I'm excited to see also where Sky, you know, develops in the future. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you us. for having me today.